For the first time ever, I am thrilled to say we have an official sponsor for the Dirk Talk podcast, and that's Ariat. I've worn Ariat boots on every job site I've visited over the years, traveling in them across five continents. More importantly, I have yet to find a single project where working folks, unlike me, are not wearing Ariat boots and workwear in every condition imaginable. And there's really good reason for that. And that's because it's phenomenal stuff. And the more I've learned about Ariat and the company, the more I've loved their brand. So with this, Ariat is offering any Dirt Talk listener 10% off their next Ariat order at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk. That's 10% off boots, jeans, and workwear at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk or at the link in this episode's description. With that, let's get to the show. About dinosaurs, it's just like, they're more and more like birds and less and less like lizards. Yeah, which is, that's, that's interesting. But the dinosaurs were very colorful. And how do we really know that? I guess there's still a lot of colorful animals out there. Fish, birds. Well, and I wonder when we talk about like, just like, you know, they decide on a color for a dinosaur, whether versus by like scientific models or literature or like film, which obviously is going to have a little bit more leeway. Or are they taking those color palettes from lizards? Because birds are super, super colorful. That's like who's one. who's to say a T-Rex was not, um, you know, just like these beautiful like white plumage? Who knows? Well, and I need to be careful too because I think I think I'm referencing like toys. So of course they're going to make the toy dinosaur hot rod red. Yeah, it would be cool. But I'm, yeah. I'm not looking at a a, a dinosaur model in, in the Smithsonian. That might be a little <laughs> bit more a little bit more accurate more, than more uh, muted. Hasbro. Yeah. <laughs> Man, we have legit. My my son just like got really 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 into um bigger than that. Your tiny dinosaur but just like the, you know, 6-inch little dinos. Mm-hmm. And it's just like he knows every not every, but like a lot of the kinds of dinosaurs, you know, he wants to, like in bed, he wants to lay down and we go back and forth on types of dinosaurs. He'll be like, daddy, you go first. He'll be like, okay, T-Rex. That's a classic. Stegosaurus. You know, just like hits all the ones. And it's because he just, he loves that. And so he's been doing the same thing with, um, you know, he's got like a little excavator and a little dozer that he is like having fun with. Like he, he just loves like that, that exact size Toy. And he basically doesn't care what it is. It could be superhero, could be Ninja Turtle. Doesn't matter. That was going to be my question though. Was does he have heavy equipment toys? We only have two so far. Well, we've got actually got a huge um, caterpillar. It might even be through Tonka, mm-hmm. but it's just like a big haul truck that he will sit in and watch television. That's pretty cool. Wow, it's it must, big. It must be yeah, pretty big. Yeah, I'd say like the. I don't know. The bed is maybe this big. I mean, nice. the the truck itself is you know maybe three feet. I mean, it's pretty solid. It's just like a pretty cool plastic. Honestly, it's just like a big, soft version of that, basically, mm-hmm. without as many details. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how kids, uh, just what they're into, and how many kids love heavy equipment. Like the like Dude. the percentage of of kids of the percentage of the population that's stoked on heavy equipment under the age of seven years old, pretty substantial. 
which is why I'm very optimistic about solving the workforce problem because it's like, okay, well, we have them while they're kids and then it goes away. Yeah. Uh, but it's there. Is, it's is, there. Is the thought there, and I'm sure you have opinions on this too, is the thought there that, you know, they're really into it as like young kids. There seems to be like a lot of content about equipment that's geared towards kids mm-hmm. or some. And then like whatever kids start watching seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, there's just not like a way to reach them using that. No, I think it's, uh, that's the age where they start to step into the education system. True. <laughs> and they I just mean, don't talk about it at school anymore. Well, what's the education system for? It's designed to mint kids for college. Yeah. And what's college for? It's designed to mint people for corporate America or jobs. That's essentially it. Mm-hmm. it it's, that makes it's, sense. That's a good point. It's made into this, um, this, this, bigger than it really is, especially nowadays. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and maybe college used to be, and it definitely was for philosophers and, and, you know, doctors and people that would think about different things and challenge different things and, and this and that. Now yeah. it's really just high production. Let's just get more people minted for corporate America. And then the funny thing is it doesn't even do a very good job minting them for corporate America anymore. <clears throat> I just read some research about, how much money corporate America has to spend in training people out of college. And it's just astronomically high because Mm -hmm. people out of college aren't even worth that anymore. Um, So I think that's it. I think they go into the education system and then the education system is all about uh, getting a quote unquote good job where you use your head, not your back to make your money. Well, and you they say always lift with your back, not with your legs. Exactly. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when you're talking about like the the corporate America who's having to like spend an, an additional whatever on training people out, out of college because even out of college they're not really ready to like produce in these in roles, mm-hmm. is the idea that or like the thought process behind that like they're they feel like college isn't good enough. Or it? No, it's it's it's. Is it it's, just like the requirements are so much different than what college offers now? Yeah, well, it's 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 yeah, it's not good enough for the role. Yeah, um, and it turns out that more and more roles are not being like prepared for via college. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, and, and we're just more specialized as a society and corporate culture now than yeah. we than we once were. And yeah, it uh, used to be like, well, just go to college for business, and you'll have. A, but it's like, well, what do you? Well, and what the, does that mean? The reality too is, colleges sometimes some programs are a decade or two behind reality. Yeah. Like it's amazing talking to kids about what they're learning in marketing right now. Cause it's, we have a marketing business and I see what marketing looks like in the day-to-day world. Typically Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not super knowledgeable about it, but I, I, I know my way around a marketing business and what marketing is in the real world. Yeah. And what they learn in in colleges isn't even close. (laughs) It's, it's, it's not even within the same ballpark. Like, they don't even learn about social media. Mm-hmm. And social media is not a new thing. It's been around. And if, if they do learn about social media, it's getting taught by somebody who doesn't understand social media. Yeah, it's like somebody who's <clears throat> 65 who's been teaching marketing in college for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And like, what experience do they have in like real world marketing? Very little, if any. Yeah, well, that, that was one of my biggest qualms with engineering school. It, it's just outdated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're learning about engineering in 
2003 without what the internet is today. And it, you just sit there and think, you're like, well, I just have access to far more resources today to learn about a lot of these problems that I would need to figure out on my own back in the day. I don't, the world just moves a lot faster than mm -hmm. I'm being taught right now and the methodology that was used 10, 20 years ago. Um, but it's so uh, difficult to update these curriculums and with accreditation and so on and so forth. It just doesn't adapt very quickly. Well, I think a great example of that is, or a exa great example of like those issues are so, so, so few um, colleges and universities offer real software development training, mm -hmm. which is ridiculous when you think about what is the world after you leave college. Like there, there are so, so, so many software development jobs. It's like, are you, if you're good at this, you can get the job. And so all of these, um, either modeled after trade schools, um, but just all these programs that are for teaching people how to code. Yeah. Those are popping up everywhere and they're churning out employable people. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, there's like something there that's like working correctly, but the fact that like college like mainstream college is not filling that gap seems to me like pretty glaring it's not uh, i don't know i it's good we've talked about it a lot yeah. it serves its purpose but i also there's just uh there's a clear gap there kids are stoked on heavy equipment and moving dirt i've put a lot of adults in equipment for the first time ever they're stoked on it they're stoked on heavy equipment. They're stoked on moving dirt. So it's still there. What happens in between? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and how can we interrupt that a little bit? Not interrupt that, but create a, a new off-ramp to, hey, you're stoked on this. You can actually go do this too. This isn't just for the sandbox when yeah. you're a child. You can actually build a whole lifestyle doing this. And it's for the right person. Super cool. Um. So it just, it, it makes me, I'm very optimistic because again, it's not like I'm trying to sell legal forms or I'm an insurance broker. It's, it's, I'm selling something or we're having to sell something that kids are already fired up about. And like, like, okay, you're a kid, for example, you're stoked on heavy equipment. You're stoked on cars race cars, stuff like that. You're stoked on dinosaurs. You're stoked on, what, spaceships. What else? Um, superheroes. Okay, great. So so we have those five. Uh, so you might be able to be a race car driver, but there's not very many of those slots available in society sure. on a percentage basis. Um, space travel, being in the space industry. Uh, yeah, sure. They're starting to employ more people, but you're, you're not going to be, <laughs> if you want to drive the spaceship, you know what I'm saying? Drive to be an idiot. Yeah, if you want to drive the spaceship, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty small percentage. Pretty exclusive. If you want to be a dinosaur, that's not, off not, the table. Not a lot days. of jobs. <laughs> 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 not, not, not a ton of jobs in the dinosaur industry. Yeah. Superheroes, um, until they, you know, maybe a, further research on COVID vaccines proves that. True. That actually could work out really, really wrong well. And people turn into superheroes. Yep. That could be a positive adverse reaction. Uh, and then you have construction, which is, hey, this is actually a very viable career. So that's, 
That's pretty funny. I never thought about it that way. Like there, you know, there is like a certain genre of like things that like kids really get into. Like, I don't want to say it's, I don't, I don't want to say it's really, really um, defined or like really, really like small amount of things, but there are, I feel like most kids are usually into like one of those five things or, you know, there's maybe a couple more that we didn't say. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Like the like heavy equipment, like construction thing is the only thing that's like something you could be into as an adult and do something with. <laughs> well, and it's not, it's not just heavy equipment too. Kids are so into building things. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I read, I was reading about the metaverse this weekend and trying to figure out what the fuck a metaverse was. And you're like, do I need to buy property in the metaverse. Well, and I have a much better idea of what the metaverse is. And it's it's like this catch-all term that I think is very misunderstood compared to the definition, at least I read about. Mm-hmm. But one of the big metaverse players is Roblox. And, and that was actually the number one, I think it was number one app in the world for time spent on app. Wow. And it, it, it IPO'd at like $40 billion. <laughs> And it's this virtual world (laughs) in which these kids can go create all sorts of different things. They can build based on, you know, like Minecraft, too, is another example. Mm -hmm. They can build these worlds or, um, shit, what's the, Fortnite. You know, you're, 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 you're battling, but you're also building while you're doing it. Lego, the biggest toy company in the world, it's predicated on building, creating. There's all of these, this massive interest in today's youth, that's all around building things, creating, seeing what you're doing. And that's our industry. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. So how do we connect those two dots is the question. But, but they're there. That It's definitely there. It's definitely real and proven by Roblox or Minecraft or Lego. I mean, it's shit, dude, how do we do that? How do we tap into that? But for the adult population. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is interesting to think about, you know, that, that huge gap between like, there's all this interest as a kid in uh, construction and just like making things out of nothing. Um, You know, it's like my son now is three and a half and like he has stumbled upon just videos of people playing Roblox. And yeah. he's like, this is cool. I'm like, I guess, man. Like, this is boring to me. But it's like, that's that's how, like, those kids get into those games. Mm-hmm. And so, but they're like, is a clear, like, drop-off where the education system, and I, I'm not demonizing anything here. I'm just more considering the, the the interest of the conversation that, like, not only does that interest wane really, really fast, pretty across a generation, but also the like understanding of that, of that kind of work really disappears and becomes foreign too. So it's mm-hmm. like, even if you're really into this stuff and really into making stuff with Legos, you know, maybe some of those people might end up going to college to be an engineer or something like that, but that's probably not everybody. I'm sure it was just like, well, now I just, now I just do this instead. Well, but, and, but, and don't, don't understand <clears throat> the like real world application of the things they were into for the first 10 years of their life. You know, and you think about school, how, what percentage of school is actually predicated on creating things and using your imagination? It's small. It's not very much. Mm-mm. It's really not very much. And you really have to, I want to say, this is my experience, you really have to like seek those 
opportunities out in the first place. It's not like we're going to keep you making stuff. We're going to keep uh, like feeding that creative part of your brain. It's like, well, if you just don't want to take art class anymore, you just say you don't want to. And guess what? You don't make anything ever again. Yeah. That's just how it is. Like <clears throat> you can, you can avoid all of that if you just didn't really want to like put any time to figure out how can I still, you know, be, be creative and whether it's, you know, music or art or computer science or whatever. It's like, if you're just like, we're not going to make anything anymore. Mm-hmm. You're not just going to accidentally keep doing it. You have to put in the time. And yet true creativity is one of the most valuable things. Like one of the things that human beings are best at. And one of the things that AI computers can't do. Mm-hmm. Computers, like we talked about, uh, you know, com- like computers incorrectly, you know, for 85% of the time identified a cat. You know, humans are really good at this creative part of 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 the world, but then computers are really good at taking massive amounts of data and crunching it all together into different meanings that then humans can take and go put into the real world again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, we need to be better at, I don't know, creating opportunities for people to to create and then just unstructured, to have the unstructured playtime. Yeah. Like if we go build this facility that we want to go build within the next year or two, mm-hmm. that's going to be part of it is I want it to be open every weekend for unstructured playtime for kids to be able to just get in a machine in a safe setting and try it out. See what that's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's because awesome. it's so valuable. Mm-hmm. It's so valuable. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's all interesting. This is the kind of stuff mm-hmm. I think about. I was thinking about the other day on my run. I was like, all the biggest companies when it comes to kids and play are all about building stuff. Mm-hmm. Huh. There's something there. I don't know what it is, but there's something there. The, yeah, we can certainly connect it to just the broader mission to make the dirt world a better place, certainly. Yeah. Um, we were driving this weekend, and we were stopped at a light, and there was a residential site. They were... And they'd already knocked down the house. They were just kind of grading the, the the lot. There was what was clearly a middle schooler sitting in a bobcat reading a book. And That's his dad was cool. in another piece of equipment. And I'm like, I love this. Where it's just like, you're going to work with dad. He's not sitting in the truck. He's sitting in the bobcat reading a book. And I guess it might have been a professional person. But like the person looked very, very, very young. Well, <clears throat> and so this is, I've heard this quite a few times that a lot of the people in the industry today, they grew up around the industry. So their dad or uncle, grandpa, whoever it was, would bring them to work, bring them to job sites. And like the other day, I was on a residential job and this guy drove past in a blade and he had a kid standing in the cab with a blade. And I'm like, (laughs) you don't see that very much these days. Mm -hmm. And I asked him about it, asked the superintendent, oh yeah, uh, his wife works nights. And he works during the day, obviously, and there's an hour or two overlap. So, so his wife comes to the job site and picks Drops up the off. kid. Or, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he takes him to work, and then the kid gets picked up an hour or two later, but gets to ride around with his dad in the blade, which is awesome. <laughs> but that doesn't happen very much nowadays because of lawyers and liability sure. and insurance companies and safety. And it's a, it's a hazard to have kids on sites, even though it was all just fine before. Now it's a hazard. And unfortunately, that's created this, like, we had limited exposure for the youth to the industry before. Now we have almost no exposure. 
to the industry as young mm-hmm. people today, unless your dad has a shop at his house or something like that. And he's bringing the work home with him or whatever it is, or you're a small grading contractor and you can go take the kid and put him in a skid steer. But beyond that, there's, there's, there's no exposure. Yeah. What do you think the, like, the difference generation wise between, um, maybe even coming out of world war two, like into the new deal, obviously there were so many development projects at that point. But there's seems to be like a, a certain generation that was, you know, every kid's coming to work with dad or is like really seeing like these like projects being built. And it was just like the fewer and fewer people going into not even the dirt world, but just into um, occupations that are like building and developing, um, you know, our society in that way that there's less people are doing that now. And so the, well, and we there's less excitement about it during the New Deal infrastructure system or in, interstate system, all that. Jet, like we were still very much a developing nation. Yeah. Um, and uh, the United States is now a developed nation, and and you just the entire economy transitions from a developing nation that makes things to this develop or to, to to a developed nation that's really paid for thinking. And shit like that, which isn't all that productive, mm-hmm. but it's technology, it's finance, it's 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 real estate. It's a lot of things that we don't make a lot of stuff in the United States anymore. And so I think that's one of the big changes is mm-hmm. everybody's really quick to point to college, but college just essentially follows corporate America and follows the macroeconomics of our country to serve, you know, whoever gives them the money. And... um that's what's happened. I think we've gone from making things and doing to then this developed, more refined nation of we outsource the doing. Mm-hmm. We outsource all of that to other countries now, like which is what we did with manufacturing, for example. What we're trying to do with mining, like I talked Dave Dave Turn about, yeah. we're just trying to go, oh, no, we don't do mining in the United States because it's bad, but we still consume more resources than ever before. We got to get it somewhere. It drives me nuts. Uh, infrastructure construction, same thing. Well, if it, but it, it does feel like there is like a significant, I mean, this is all stuff we talk about, but it does feel like there is like a significant, um, I don't want to say misinformation, uh, but there's significant, um, gaps between like with mining, for example, I think this is probably the easiest one to talk about the uh like negative poorly uh executed mining gets all of the like airtime and all of the uh like reputation power mm-hmm. to where now there are a lot of parts and people in America who are like oh mining is a bad thing well that but and that's the problem that's what these 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 mining companies they have let's just operate in the shadows and not tell our story. Mm-hmm. That's easier. But we're, we're over here. We're, we're far away away. Well, let's just not, we don't want to get in trouble. Um, what's happened is there's always a story being told about you, whether you're the one telling it yeah. or some, like there's, and, and that's like a company with a culture. There's always a culture at the company. Mm-hmm. And if you're not taking control of it, it's, it's just going to run rampant in whatever direction it wants to run in. Sometimes yep. it's good. Sometimes it's bad. More often than it's a little bit of both, but it's typically more bad than good long-term. If you don't take control of that narrative, if you don't tell your story, 
Someone else is telling it for you. Someone else is out there. And that's exactly what's happened. Mining industry has allowed other people to tell its story for decades now. And that story has not been positive. And now they're sitting around scratching their heads. Why can't we get permits? Why can't we get people to work for us? Well, you haven't told your story. No one knows you exist. That's not a good thing. Is there fear in uh, the mining industry of like being transparent in that way? Yes. Yes. It's the legal liability. It's the, the spooks at Shaw, which are, they're very friendly people for the most part. I've, I have no problem with Shaw whatsoever. And yeah. yet they're made out to be this, this enormous boogeyman. Insurance companies, it's, 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 there's all different, there's all different reasons. And, and honestly, they're good reasons. They're good reasons. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Legal liability. Yeah. Getting cited by Shaw for a picture. I haven't seen a good example of that happening, but sure, that's a possibility. Sure. I'm sure you've been cited a hundred times for other stuff that haven't been photographed, but yeah, yeah, that, that one potential opportunity for being cited on them, I get it. It's, I, I, I get, it's scary, but what's even scarier is no workforce. <laughs> yeah, then you're just going to have a, a mine that doesn't do anything. Yeah, what's even scarier is what's happening to the coal industry. That's scarier. That's a real threat. Yeah. The whole industry getting shut down by regulation, by lack of workforce, by um, uh, just competition from other countries that don't have some of the nonsense we have to abide by. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. That's a hell of a lot bigger of a risk than potentially MSHA potentially coming after me for a citation. And so that's how you have to frame it. I get the lawyers are scary and the insurance people are scary. The MSHA people are scary. The, I don't know. I don't know who, who who else is. There's probably lots of scary people out there. But what's what's happened to coal? What's happened to mining? What's happened to these big permits with amazing resource potential getting pulled? That's so much scarier. Yeah. Big picture. Well said. I think. Um, I mean, what we what we work on, and I think. When you're talking about like you tell your own story or someone else is going to tell it for you, that's like what we focus on every day. Whether it's, you know, we're, we're helping our partners just put themselves out there and, and um, share their stories because we don't gussy up their story. They, mm. We tell their story how it is. We show them how it is. But I think as we like work into the training stuff too, um, you know, we we have to like... I don't want to say we have to talk companies in and talk people in the industry in that like training is viable, but like we have to tell the story of like, here's what it does. Not just you're, you're going to be able to train your people to do better work. It's yeah. like, yeah, that's part of it. But it, the, the larger aspect is like, we want to build a larger workforce in America who's doing this work. And it starts with helping develop the people who are already here or the people who already have interest in it. It's like, that's just the beginning of that story. Um, so I think what's what's fun for me to like see is, you know, these really um, six already successful companies who are like kind of future proofing that success in a lot of ways. Oh, you have to. It's starting to become just a minimum standard in business. Yeah, it's just to just to, like, to illustrate. Like I feel like what I mean, Joe Rogan's a good example of he. They tried to make him into X Y Z. But anybody that's listened to Joe Rogan consistently can just sit there and say, that's, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. 
you're really going to expect me to believe that? I've been listening to this guy for years. I've spent, at this point, hundreds of hours listening to this guy. I have a pretty good idea of who this guy is mm-hmm. and, and how he thinks. And what you're saying just isn't true. But if I wasn't listening to him and I'm, I just, hey, Joe Rogan's XYZ, Joe Rogan's probably XYZ. Or, you know, like Alex, you know, you're not telling your story. Someone says, Alex is an asshole. Well, what did you do? Well, he did this. Oh, Alex is an asshole. And if my response is, I'm not talking about this. Well, but but if, I, <laughs> if I've been following you on social media or if I've known you for uh, two years now, I can sit there and say, well, no, there's a story that there's, that's inconsistent with the story I've been, I've been told about Alex. Yeah. But if you're not telling your story, if I don't know you, you're not illustrating any of that online or whatever it is. Sure. Uh, yeah. I believe Alex is an asshole. So then all these companies, who, who is controlling the narrative? Uh, disgruntled former ex-employees that they've fired. Yeah, that's a, that's a big pool right there. Pissed off public. If they're stuck in road construction or there's a quarry by their house making a lot of noise and dust or whatever it is. I mean, people that are pissed off. That's who's controlling the narrative. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's pretty typical, right? And and not not even in the dirt road, but just in general, the, the typically the people who are upset are going to be louder than the people who like co-sign what you know a, a company or a business is doing. That's just pretty typical, I think, across all industries. Mm-hmm. So, super fun, man. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a couple of dirt talk questions. Um, you want the fun one, or the more serious one first. Dealer's choice. Let's do it. All right. What are some kinds of projects such sites you've not yet seen, but are really hoping to see this year? I, I really want to go international because it's, I have covered a lot of the United States and not, I, I have a long list of stuff I would love to see in the United States. And I've only seen a very, very yeah. small percentage of what there is to see in the United States. And the fun thing is, especially in construction, it's always changing. So, and even the same project can be completely different a year later. So, even if I've seen every project in the United States today, a week from now, that's different. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 just an indefinitely moving goalpost, which is fun. Yeah. I've seen a lot of the United States. I would like to see more of of outside the United States because because I think that'll help help my worldview and help my understanding of what's going on in the United States so that we can continue to solve some of the problems we're looking at. Yeah, kind of adjust your your lens of how you look at the United States. Exactly. And in, in the United States, we're four to five percent of the world's population. <laughs> That's not very much. Not a lot. <laughs> there's there's a lot more going on out there than just us. So in April, I'm going to Europe for the first time to go see some contractors in Switzerland, which are said to be some of the best in the world. Mm-hmm. And then to see um, Lee Bear in France and Germany. You were talking about that last week. That sounds radical. <clears throat> I'm, I'm very, very much looking forward to that. Yeah. To learn about how, especially the Swiss approach, equipment and projects and safety and people. And I'm really looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. I would love to go to Canada. Unfortunately, Canada is just... There's time. It's going to be a while before I can get to Canada. 
And I've really been wanting to go to Australia, but that's another one. Who the hell knows when I'll be able to get out there? Yeah. Because it's just, I don't want to go near it right now. Mm -hmm. It's unfortunate. But um, hopefully I can get up to Canada, Australia, and then I'm for sure going to Europe, at least in, in April. In regards to America, um, are there, most, okay, so I'm thinking about like when you went and saw that like huge jetty in the Pacific Northwest. Was that in Washington, Oregon? Uh, right on the border, Washington, Oregon. Okay. Yeah. Had you been to a site like that before? Or was that pretty new to you? I, I had never seen jetty stone placement like that before. But funny enough, the jetty on the other side of the river was the one we were working on yeah. at Kiwit. But I didn't get to see the placement. Kind of a different vibe, a different yeah. part of the process. Yeah. So I have I've been around a lot of jetty stones, but I'd never actually seen them getting placed before. Mm -hmm. I I I want to go to more really unique applications like that. I want to go um, see the the jetties, the tunnels. Um, I really want to go see the military. Yeah, because that's all. That's a totally different brand. Yeah, Navy Seabees, Army Corps. I want to see how they do it because I think that would be really, really special. Yeah. And I was, I, I got lined up with them and then the whole COVID thing happened. So sure. I haven't made that work yet, but that would be, I just want to see as many different ways of doing things as I can and see as many corners of the industry as possible. Um, the problem now is how do I prioritize all of the opportunities I have right in front of me because I have people reaching out every day. Hey, come, you should come here. You should come there. You should check out this. You should check out that. And uh, the reality is I just have 24 hours in every day mm -hmm. like everybody else does. And I can't, I can't just indefinitely travel. Yeah. Because there's also, I also have a side job of, of running a business. It's just a side hustle. It's really not something <laughs> you don't focus on it. <laughs> That's what I've been calling it. It's my, <laughs> my, my, uh, my moonlighting. Yeah. I moonlight at working, working for a company. Um, so yeah, there's, and I have a, I have a working list of specific op operations I want to see. I think what's probably the, the, the challenge is with all the folks who reach out and say, Hey, you got to come see this site. That's, you know, either near me or I'm working on with my company or whatever. Your response has to be like, yeah, that would be sick. And then can't do anything. You just because, like you said, there's only so much time. Like you, you do spend obviously a lot of time on the road, seeing a lot of different projects, a lot of different sites, meeting a lot of different people, mm -hmm. and you're still having to like say, "I just can't. I can't go see that project. I'm not going to be able to see it at when I want to be able to see it." Well, and I, I genuinely want to see all this stuff, and and at the least meet all of these people. Yeah, I, I want to meet as many people as I can. the The question is, how do you make it scalable? we can make it scalable by bringing the people to us, which is why largely why we want to go build this, what I'm calling the dirt world headquarters. Yep. And this training facility. If we can go pull those things together, we can bring the dirt world to us so we can interact with a lot more of the dirt world than we are today, which would be super impactful for both parties. It's a win-win. So that's future state is hopefully I can create a situation in which the dirt world can come to us more regularly. Like think about con expo, you know, the, the benefit of going to con expo is to collaborate with the industry. Thinking about having a place where that's an opportunity every week of every year, that'll be the dirt world headquarters Yep, in Nashville, Tennessee coming soon, early 2023 ish. Yeah. yeah. 
Heck yeah, no, boy. It'll probably take a, a year to pull together. We got we still got plenty of steps. On it's that in the works though. This is. is not I don't like talking about shit that's not already happening. This is very much already happening. Um I've talked about it before, but like literally one of my my least favorite kinds of people are the people who talk about, hey, yeah, I'm writing a book. As like that's like a thing to brag about. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think you're right in saying, I'm not talking about this because it's like something I want to do. It's like we're we we are in motion. Yeah. These things are in motion, which is exciting. Um, thanks for talking about that. Uh, another question. This is sort of a, I can't really figure out how to phrase, or I can't phrase it like a question, but you'll know what to say. Tips on how to transition from a field guy to an office guy. Love the field, but want to move into leadership. Sure. That's a good question. I was just listening to a podcast about this this morning about how everybody, the funny thing is, and this, uh, uh, not this, not this situation. Everybody thinks the only way to to make more money, and, and and it's largely true at a lot of companies, to make more money, to move up is to, you know, go from doer to manager and go from the field to office. You have mm-hmm. to go to the office to make the real money. Yeah. Um, which isn't always true at construction companies. I've met a lot of superintendents that <laughs> make a shitload of money um, and a lot of operators that make more true. money than a lot of management yeah. does. But... Uh, yeah, there's this there's this desire to go manage people, to go away from the doing. But then the funny thing is they get to that position and it's they're they're miserable. Partially because they haven't been trained on how to actually do that. Because they're really good at doing. They're not good at it's a totally different skill set. They're not doing anymore. They're managing people. Mm-hmm. So they're they're not trained. And then two, they just like doing. And they don't want to be in meetings all day long and dealing with all these. And then, and then they just kind of get miserable, mm-hmm. which I've seen a lot as well, which is a huge bummer. Where it's just like, I want to go, I want to move up in my company. So I'm going to get out of this uh, equipment or whatever. I'm going to go work in the office and be like, I hate this. And this is not for me. Yeah. So the, the, so the first question is, or the first thing to think about is make sure, make sure you want to do it <laughs> and, and, and make sure you have the right reasons for doing it. And that's not to say don't do it, but Think twice, because I have seen a lot of people that do make that jump and then they're miserable, mm-hmm. uh, especially coming from the field, especially coming from the satisfaction of seeing what you're doing every single day and then going to the office where that's not necessarily a thing anymore. That's a big leap and that's a totally different ball, ball game. But uh, say, okay, no, 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 I, I, I want to I be in this role. Um, talk to the folks in the office about it. Whoever you report to, Hey, I, you know, I've, 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 I love the field, love this company, want to continue to be a part of it. But in my, my career, I have these aspirations to go here and you're, you're there, you know, you're that next step forward, or, you know, maybe the person you're reporting to isn't the one, you know, could, could they connect you with that right individual and start with having that conversation of just telling them, here's where I aspire to be because me as an employer of around 80 people now, hard to believe. We offer the opportunities, but then it's on the individual to take advantage of those opportunities and to go make something of it. And that's part of it is you have to go tell people where you want to go. Don't expect it to just happen. So a, a good employer will take that information and be like, oh, hell yeah. Okay, great. You want to be in the 
the office. Let me, if nothing else, they might have to think about it, but let's figure out a plan on how to make that happen. And it might not happen tomorrow. It might be a six month, 12 month plan, but in theory, okay, great. Now that you've identified that, Hey, this is where you want to be. Then they should start helping you get in that direction. And even if they badly need you out in the field, a good employer will put their, your needs before theirs and say, Hey, this might set us back a little bit if we do this, but this person wants to go here. So we're going to make that happen. And then we're going to figure out how to backfill that from there. And, and if you want to go, and this is to, we've made this point a lot. So you want to go from here to there, your priority should be training someone up to make sure they can take your position so that it makes that decision from the higher ups really damn easy. If you come to me and I say, you know, I want to go here. And for the past three months, I've been training so-and-so on how to do this. They're just about ready. We can make this happen. I'll be like, shit. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if there's no downside, then dude, let's, let's go. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. So it's just about asking yourself, what can you do as an individual? Extreme ownership. What can you do? What's in your realm of, of influence? to to make that happen because your career is your responsibility at the end of the day it's no one else's Mm -hmm. and no one likes those bitter assholes that complain about their employer they missed an opportunity or this and that sure there's a lot of shitty companies out there but a lot of times it's on the individual before it's on the employer or at least it's a lot better to live life looking at it like it's your responsibility than just your employer making all the shots calling all the shots on your life well, um, I, mean, I, th- I think a, a good example of that is uh, you're more, you're far more likely to get a raise if you ask for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like to me, I, I think that's where the, and I don't know if I just like have, yeah, I guess I just have matured and had, had different jobs. It's like, I, I'm, Regardless of like my performance, which I'm like, I, I feel like I, my uh, give a shit meter is pretty high. I, I really, really care about the things that I'm doing. But I've certainly like been frustrated at other points in my career. Be like, man, why don't they recognize that I'm doing a really, really good job? You know, why aren't they saying you deserve a raise for the, the work you're doing? You're really valuable to us. Mm-hmm. Why don't they say that? They, they probably think Alex doesn't need that. Well, and it's not even, and a lot of times it's not even that they don't care about you. It's just. They've got shit going on. That's what I'm saying. It's like if <laughs> they've got other stuff to worry about, yeah. but it's like if if you really if that's like something you want to do, if that's what you aspire to, the best way to start that is to ask. Mm-hmm. And I think that's across all industries, all kinds of work is even if you're crushing it and everybody sees that you do, if you don't like bring up, hey, here's where I want to go with this, they're not going to be like, hey, let's put more on this person's plate or let's move them into another place. Like that might happen occasionally, but I'm sure for the most part, it's like, well, that person's crushing it right there and they seem happy. That's what most companies are going to think. Yeah. They got other stuff to worry about. Yeah. Well, a good example of all this too, like Matt Briscoe, he wants to move into a different role after he's been here a long time and he's recognized, developed their ex people, recognized that, hey, I can do the video thing, but it's not exactly aligned with, with who I am yeah. and what I think my natural skill set is, which Great. It's, I'm, I'm really happy that, that he's learned that so far. Especially, Especially as early as, as young, young as he, as he is. is. That's the goal. That's the goal. That's what your 20s are for, dude. Just try a bunch of shit and figure out what's for you and what's not for you. But, but I also told him, but you're also not going anywhere until you can fill that void. Mm-hmm. 
And so until you can fill that void, it's not in the cards. And so that's your number one responsibility is figure out how to fill that void. Once it's, once it's filled, you can go wherever the hell you want to go. But that's the number one priority is, hey, your role is still very, and that's where your employer is probably coming from is everybody on the team plays a specific role for a reason. So if you leave that role, there's a gap there. How can you help fill that gap before it's a gap? Yeah, play, your, make, play your part in filling in where you're trying to leave. It's yeah. your responsibility. It's not your employer's. So if you look at it like that, there's, dude, there's, that's a no brainer for your employer. And if you're no, if your employers then just like, no, go fuck yourself. Okay. Like I said, Hey, you've taken extreme ownership. You've exhausted all the options. You've done the work. You've, you've trained up people to take your position. You've, you've, you've talked about where you want to go. You've waited, you've worked hard. You've done all that. It's still not being recognized. Then go to another company. It's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. Everybody's hiring right now. Yep. Everybody's hiring right now. Um, and, and so I, I would want to say that I hope that the person who sent this question in, as well as anybody else who's in a similar situation where it's like, you know, they, they're in a, a position that they're, you know, maybe excelling in or just doing fine in, but like are able to provide the right value to the team, but like want to go somewhere else. Hopefully that they're either encouraged by the thought that it's up to you to set those pieces in motion, not overwhelmed by the fact like, shoot, it's, I have to do this yeah. because I'm sure that can be kind of intimidating too, especially maybe if you're younger or less experienced or whatever it is. But it's like, to me that, to me, that thought process is empowering where it's like, if that's where I want to go, then I need to make sure people know that, make sure people know that like, that's where I'm aiming towards. Um, yeah. So I just, I, th I think for me, I, I am both encouraged personally, but also I would hope that folks who are in the same situation feel the same way. Uh, well, I think that is a Monday edition of Dirt Talk. Super. Well done. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. If you're not listening on the Build It app, check it out. Just download the Build It app. All the podcasts are there on our platform, which is very cool. Yep. But also all of the leaders' content is there. I just had a meeting with someone. He said, been on the app, been learning. It's awesome. I love to hear that. There's so much information on there that I have consumed that has dramatically, we just doubled the size of our business. I had a hand in that and I had to basically double myself as a leader for that to happen. That's how I did it, was the content on, on Build It Leaders. This is not this bullshit stuff that we're just throwing out there and hopefully you learned something or brought to you by whoever. It's, it's, it's real stuff that we've paid a lot of money for that we've learned a lot from that hopefully the industry can benefit from too. So if you're not listening on that Build It app, check it out, download it, let us know what you think. And with that, we will see you on the next episode. Until then, stay dirty, everybody.